Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Uh, I am working with Mac along with, you know, some of you on the offense and work with all the skill group on offense. Uh, I'd say all of us are working collectively, all right, as a coaching unit to work with the entire offense. I got a chance to uh, see him last year in training camp practices and all that, and um, he's done a great job coaching us, and he's seen a lot of football. I mean, obviously, he's been around football for a long time, whether that be as a head coach, special teams, you know, playing the position himself. So he has knowledge that is very beneficial to me as a quarterback, and um, obviously I'm, I'm going to learn with him. That's the, the goal is to kind of, you know, teach each other and move along and uh, take what he knows and then take the experiences that I have and combine them uh, and work together as a great team. You can just feel the stress from Mac Jones. Don't say anything dumb. Don't say anything that's going to make coach mad. Don't say anything I shouldn't say. Just say pretty much nothing. But uh, he said a few things. Joe Judge, you're swapping out Josh McDaniels for Joe Judge. Josh McDaniels, now the head coach of the Raiders. Joe Judge, former coach of the Giants, was special teams coordinator with the Patriots. Now he's back, and he's doing something. We don't know what, but he's doing something on the offensive side of the ball, which includes, obviously, working with Mac Jones. I mean, look, look, this is the bottom line, and we see this with quarterbacks, Chris. One of the reasons they get ruined, one of the reasons they don't live up to their potential, they don't reach their ceiling, is they don't have continuity in the coaching staff from one year to the next. And this is a critical year for Mac Jones to not have Josh McDaniels, who was a big reason for his success last year. Yeah, no, no, it is. It's a critical year. There's no question. Yes, I mean, Josh McDaniels is special, as we talk about all the time. And he's definitely one of the best play callers in football over the last 15 and 20 years. I mean, some would argue maybe he's the best. So he's he's like, as far as Mac Jones, yeah, he's losing a little bit of a support system, a guy with great knowledge, tricks, creativity. No question about it. You know, that, that, that's that's a big loss. But at the same time, it's less concerning in this place as compared to others. It's New England. And it's Bill Belichick. And they are the place that, yes, can get away with this because of Bill Belichick. You know, Belichick is he's he's very hands-on with the quarterbacks as well. 
So he's not. It's not like he's over there, you know, sipping pina coladas, going, "Hey, Joe, you'd figure it out with the quarterbacks." He's got his eye and pulse on it. I guarantee he's in those meeting rooms a little bit, coaching them through a little bit as he's coaching Joe Judge, so he can kind of see and take his lead. That would be at least my experiences there, seeing that and and knowing that how Bill Belichick operates. I would think he's a little more involved in the quarterbacks than usual. And the thing about Bill Belichick, he has years ago evolved past that label that he's a defensive coordinator. Definitely. A defensive coach. He is just a football coach. He coaches the whole team. He's involved with everything, offensive and defensive. And now with Josh McDaniels gone, he's going to be as involved in the offense as he's ever been, maybe more involved than he's ever been. And they're building this mystery. And I still don't know what the purpose of it is, where the various assistants – aren't talking about what they do. The players aren't talking about who's doing what. And one of the most important aspects, obviously, for the Patriots this year will be who is calling the plays when they have the ball. Here is Bill Belichick, and we apologize in advance for the quality of the audio, but anytime Bill Belichick speaks, there's a good chance the audio is not going to be good because it's a series of grumbles and grunts and snorts. (laughs) Here is question and answer posed to Bill Belichick about who will be calling the plays on offense this season. Have those jobs been specified for Joe and, and Matt in particular? They told us that you know Joe's been working with the quarterbacks and Matt a little bit with the offensive line, but those guys have titles. Yes. We have titles. Yeah, look, there's a lot of jobs that we have to do. We're all working on those things now. It's, it's May. They'll change in June. They'll change in August. They'll change in September. So all the, the things timely that we need to do. And if you're asking about game plans, we're probably months away from that. Months. Maybe not game plans, but how about like the one role that we asked those two guys about was the play caller role. Is is that one away from, from having a play caller? So what plays are we calling? Well, they can't play. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Do you know who will call offensive plays, or is that a process you'll let play out over the course of the offseason? Yeah, when we get to it, we'll get to it. Bill, you said you've called plays, you haven't called plays. Is it an option for you to call offensive plays this year? I've called them, and I haven't called them. And other people have called them, and they haven't called them. We'll see. I've called them and I haven't called them. Other people have called them and they haven't called them. At one point, an ad, no bull, flashed on the screen behind Bill Belichick, which is very appropriate. There was a lot of bull there. I just don't understand why they don't want to say, how do you not go into your OTA season knowing who's going to be calling the plays? And maybe the truth is it's always been amorphous and vague like this. We just never bothered to ask because we just assumed – Josh McDaniels was calling the plays. Maybe Bill Belichick was involved. And, well, I mean, yeah. the head coach always has that veto sure. over whatever is going on. Yes. Maybe he's been involved in calling plays a lot more than we ever recognize. Well, I mean, it, to, to your first thing, it, it is odd. I mean, we, we usually see play callers. And, you know, like we talked about a little last week, they establish a, you know, a command system. Oh, here's the offensive coordinator. And now everybody kind of, you know, fall in line and listen to it. But I think because of a lot, the amount of moving parts and coaches they've lost and whatever, I, it seems like it's a little bit of like work in progress. We'll see who earns it or, you know, where this goes. I think that's what Bill Belichick's doing. And to, to the second point you were talking there, Mike, 
they, they there is no plays being called. I know they're at practice and people are going, wait, there's play, there's practice. But it's not like we're on the sideline and the guy's like, oh, hey, what's the defense in? Oh, okay, we got to go to this play. No, the practice is pre-scheduled already. Belichick, the New England way, what they do, they start with the training wheels every year. Uh, that's just what they do. As I've told you before, whether playing against them in the preseason, working there a little bit, you know, knowing how they implement things as, as playing for Josh McDaniels, it's going to be like, no, here's the, here's the 10 plays we're playing today or practicing today. These are a real base part of our offense, and we're going to master these for a few days, and we're not going to really move on to the next plays until we do that. And as I've told you before, like same with defense. It'll be like, here's cover two and here's cover three. And when I feel like we've got cover two and cover three down, then we'll start talking about the next coverage and go from there. So there is no need for a play caller because right now Belichick is scheduling the practices the way he wants and going, okay, hey, offense, I want you to run this play and defense. We're going to run this defense, and we're going to use that against each other to, to coach and make each other better that way. So it is not necessary. It's just odd and rare in the NFL to not have it. How about this fact? Yeah. Assuming that Josh McDaniels was indeed the play caller for the past 10 seasons, and based upon what Belichick said yesterday, I don't know what to believe anymore on that point. <laughs> he was. For the past 10 years, yes. the Patriots were in the top 10 in points scored 9 out of 10 times. Special. So, Special. Y you think of them as a defensive team, and that's how they got started, first wave of their dynasty. But they really did supercharge the offense starting in 2007, even though they didn't win the Super Bowl that year, obviously. But they became more of an offensive juggernaut. Definitely. And, uh, and, and a balanced team in more recent years. And uh, somebody's going to be calling the plays. And, and this, I still, Chris, at some level believe that, that Bill Belichick is trying to centralize responsibility He's trying to reduce the pressure and the scrutiny of the individual assistant coaches because I think he knows. I think he knows. If he didn't know before they got the crap kicked out of them by the Bills in prime time to end their 2021 season, was it 47 to 17? Was that the score? It was I believe something so. obscene yes. like that. Yes, off the top of my head. And right. his son, Steve, supposedly the de facto defensive coordinator. That's the kind of performance that defensive coordinators get fired for. Look what happened to the special teams coordinator of the Packers after that debacle in the divisional round against the 49ers. What happened? He's gone. Well, Bill isn't going to fire one of his kids. And if you ain't going to fire one of your kids, it makes it harder to hold other people on the staff accountable as well. And you, you remove that storyline. You remove that avenue for criticism, or at least you minimize it if no one really knows what the various staff members even do, and I really think at some level he is trying to protect himself and the two kids of his that work for him from an awkward spot by keeping it very, very deliberately confusing as to who's doing what. I feel like at some level that's part of the genius of Bill Belichick circling the wagons around the coaching staff. I, I don't doubt that. I, I mean, I, I don't, like, think you're crazy for that thought. And I think it could really add, you know, you brought this up last week. I think that could filter over, even though they're not his family, to the offensive side of the ball, to have those same thoughts of just going, wait, I'm not going to make this guy the marked man. 
I'm not going to do that to him to where, oh, man, now the first two weeks we don't play great on offense and it becomes a story because, hey, you know, name, you know, Johnny, the new offensive coordinator, stinks and that becomes a thing. So I I would think, you know, again, this is like one of the greatest, most well-thought-out human beings in the history of the planet, let alone just a football coach. There's there's certainly, you know, more to it than that. I also think, too, that, you know, even with Steven Belichick, if he you know calling plays last year on the defensive side of the ball, you know, again, I don't think it was just like, hey, Steven, call whatever you want, you know, just go, you know what to do. That, I, that's just not the way things work there in New England. They know going into the game, like, hey, this has been talked about. Belichick has discussed it thoroughly and mapped it out with him and Gerard Mayo. When we get third down in these situations, here's the two or three defenses you call. When we're in second down, so even though he's calling the plays, it's still backed up by the rest of the staff, too, that way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you bring up an interesting point, but and I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I think there's probably some logic to that and to the offensive side, like I was saying. And I think the logic on the offensive side would be – you want to avoid a situation where those guys are feeling the heat and they recognize, hey, Bill's making it deliberately vague on the defensive side, so he never has to fire anybody because he can't fire his kids, which means he can't fire anybody else because then you're applying a double standard, so it's all very blurry. And it's not blurry for us. We're the ones who are getting picked on. We're the ones who are getting called out. We're the ones who are potentially in jeopardy. So I think Belichick realizes you can't blur half the team you got to blur it completely if you're going to do this it's got to be blurred everywhere and you're giving nobody anything about who's doing what it's going to be fascinating to watch we've never dealt with this before no where we don't know what the duties are of the coaches uh, no, it's, it's, I know. And, and he's kind of been moving in that direction in recent years with the defensive side you never quite know who's calling plays right. he doesn't give out the the title of coordinator very often uh, and now maybe maybe uh, the same thing is going to apply across the board. Let's go ahead and take a break. The Chris Sims quarterback countdown continues. A couple of former number two overall picks land on the list. We'll look at that next here on Pro Football Talk Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines working our way into the top 30 you see a couple more that pop up today yesterday we talked about jared goff and tua tonga vailoa at 29 and 30 today here we go marcus mariota let's start with him at number 28 the second overall pick of the 2015 draft my god it's been seven years ago since right it was james winston one and marcus mariota two now with the atlanta falcons was effective when he played for the Raiders. Remember that game in late 2020 when Derek Carr had a groin injury early? Yeah. Mariota came in against the Chargers and had a great night to the point where 
we started. We thinking, thought he was going to finish the season. Or what are they going to do with Derek yeah. Carr? Yes, right. Der- Derek Carr's groin healed very quickly. Right, it Mr. Did. Miyagi was back there making you doing <laughs> seriously, making get because I can't miss any more time because because yeah. Mariota was looking pretty damn good. No, so no, now he gets no a question. chance. Now, now he gets a chance in Atlanta with uh, Desmond Ritter there, the third round draft pick, and uh, you got Mariota. High praise, twenty eight. Uh, what what caused you to put him there? Well, you know, first off, I mean, you, you're kind of saying it. This is a guy that's he's got the traits to be a starting NFL quarterback. There's no there's no question about it. I mean, across the board, really. You talk about size. Yeah, he's six four. He's over two hundred and twenty pounds. He's two twenty five. He can run. We know that. We saw that this past year. They the Raiders used him in a lot of running situations. And then you know, as a thrower. He's pretty damn good, too. Is he a great thrower? Is he going to be throwing sidearm laser beams and stuff like that? No. He's a little robotic in his approach as a thrower overall, but controls the football and certainly no limitations on the offense as far as what you want to call that way. You know, so there, you know, from that standpoint and how I break down these quarterbacks, he's got a lot of the things you'd want. That's why he was rumored last year, I think, for teams talking about trading for Marcus Mariota. And here's that game you're talking about. There it is. It was a Thursday night game. Right, great throw. Darren Waller puts the ball up in a spot there. You see a little accuracy, great control. Then the ability to improvise, you know, and even there, a little flick of the wrist. He's a phenomenal athlete that way. He's got great feet. And, of course, his ability to run is as good as, you know, the top running quarterbacks in football, not named maybe Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. So he has a real threat as far as that's concerned. You know, and this is a guy that's, you know, pretty good decision maker, right? You know that. And he's obviously was valued there. Gruden wouldn't have kept him around if he didn't feel like he couldn't understand the offense and everything there. So it's he's one that got relegated to being a backup with the Tennessee Titans, got in the right place there with the Raiders, and I think showed between some preseason, some regular season play that uh, he is worthy of a chance to be a starting quarterback and see if he can cement himself there. And this is his opportunity to do it. Do it. So we'll see where he goes. I do think he fits nicely with what you know the Atlanta Falcons want to do there with Arthur Smith running the offense. Odd dynamic because the familiarity exists with yep. Arthur Smith, who was in Tennessee, and uh, yeah. in 2019. Benched that's him. when. That's when Marcus Mariota got benched for Ryan Tannehill. And you know, I give you credit, Chris. You saw it coming, and I think I agreed with you at the time when. They traded for Ryan Tannehill. It was just a matter of time before Tannehill was the starter, and that's exactly what happened. So there's clearly no hard feelings, or Mariota wouldn't have gone back to Atlanta right. to be with Arthur Smith. But, uh, yeah, look, hey, my only question with him is, can he stay healthy? Yes, Because that, that seems to have been the issue in recent years. He gets banged up. He has a great play, and then he's gone. Yes, pulled hamstrings, right? Yes, I mean, you know, just, again, the way he plays, people fall on you. He has been a little injured that way. And even in Tennessee, he had a little bit of a turnover problem, too. That was a little bit of an issue, you know. And I think ultimately what got him benched in Tennessee is the fact that, you know, maybe not quite as aggressive decision maker as Ryan Tannehill, not the pinpoint thrower Tannehill is, you know. Arm is, you know, comparable, maybe Tannehill a little stronger, but Mariota you know, not quite as dynamic with off-platform, back foot, leaning away, doing that type of stuff maybe as a thrower. And, you know, with his motion being very over-the-top at time, I, I call it robotic, you know, he, he doesn't always hit the bullseye to, to the extent of a, a really great starting quarterback should. 
you know, when you go back and really watch them at the end there in Tennessee. But there's still a lot of good things. And again, you know, where he's ranked, because uh, I know I see social media people go, oh, I mean, he hasn't really played or anything in two years. Okay, I, I understand that. You know, situation, perception, that all plays into it to a degree. But do I think that the Miami Dolphins uh, or, like, the Detroit Lions would have been better with Marcus Mariota starting at quarterback last year? Yes, I do, obviously. That's why I have him ranked above. Or if you just go by the way I rank these quarterbacks and put everybody in the same offense, NFL basic offense, same personnel, yes, Mariota to me has more talent than and is a better player than the two that, you know, I ranked him above. So uh, we'll see where it goes. But I expect, you know, Mariota to be pretty effective as a quarterback. And uh, Desmond Ritter adds some intrigue to that position. They sure. really believe in him. Similar skill set. As, as and, and as a winner, a guy who's effective. And we talked previously about how you, you break down some of the throws and there may be some things lacking, but he's effective. He gets it done. Yeah. And they like yeah. that. They were drawn to sure. that. So he gets a chance to develop right. with a little less pressure. Mariota's the guy, but uh, – yeah, Mariota he's going to have to injured. prove it and play it's, good to keep it's, it. It's going to be Ritter, and it's a team that's still working to put enough pieces around the quarterback to be competitive. Mitchell Trubisky comes in at number 27, the second overall pick in 2017. The Bears traded up from number three to number two, not to get Patrick Mahomes, not to get Deshaun Watson, to get Mitchell Trubisky. They didn't pick up the fifth-year option. He went to Buffalo last season didn't play and somehow elevated his standing. Yes, yes. There's this buzz around Mitchell Trubisky. Right. Lands with the Steelers. Then here comes Kenny Pickett, but you've got Trubisky higher than Pickett. Yeah. Yeah. Trubisky. Yeah. It won't be easy. It won't be. You know, when they first took Pickett, I went, oh, Pickett will be the starter. And the more I thought about it, really the exercise of putting my list together and then going back and, you know, watching Mitchell Trubisky a little bit. In his last year in Chicago, watching preseason football last year when he diced up Chicago as the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, it started to go, damn, damn. You know, Trubisky's got talent. A little bit like Marcus Mariota. I mean, there, there's a reason he was the number two pick in the draft. And he's got a stronger arm than Marcus Mariota. He's got a strong arm. He's a really good runner. I mean, he is a, a, up there in that class of Marcus Mariota as far as that's involved, too. And maybe a more dynamic thrower as far as being able to throw off different platforms, launch it down the field, do it, that type of stuff. But the number one thing is the first thing you said. He, this is why. I mean, yes, he was on the outside looking in on my top 40 last year. All right? And it was tough because, you know, I don't know what to think. Wait, maybe is it him? Is he the issue? Was it the Bears offense? Was it Nagy? I don't know. But the one thing you realized in this past year is, oh, yes, no, no, it was, it was the Bears offense and Matt Nagy. We know that because everybody that plays quarterback there doesn't do that well when they're that offense. Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, it doesn't matter. I don't care who you bring in. Justin Fields, ton of talent. You know, it was a little all over the place there. So, yes, the concerns we had about Matt Nagy, I mean, about Mitchell Trubisky went away because we went, well, man, he went to Buffalo, and all you did is hear great things about him up there. All you did is hear them tell everybody in football what they, they had the, a diamond in the rough here with Mitchell Trubisky, and then you got to see it and go, you know, man, look at the guy. He's different. And we got some clips here to talk about Trubisky, and we're going to get to that Bears preseason game when he's the quarterback of Buffalo to go, oh, wait, Brian Dayball fixed a few mechanical things. He taught him how to read the field a little differently, probably gave him a few different coaching points with how to read certain plays. And all of a sudden, Mitchell Trubisky looked like a machine. 
And then you hear from teams like, man, Trubisky in pregame. Well, I mean, they got Josh Allen, but Trubisky, man, he could throw it too. You start to hear that. You know, you don't think Pittsburgh talked to some Buffalo Bills personnel and coaches up there and they played them week one and didn't see him and go, damn, Trubisky's kind of throwing lasers around the field too. So that's why he's up in my rankings. That's why he's on the Pittsburgh Steelers because the the Bears Nagy thing got finalized, that it was more them. It's not Trubisky. And so let's get to the tape of the Bears. All right, let's look at this a little bit. First off, I mean, again, I mean, he can make every throw. He's got touch, certainly. Accuracy, I wish, yes, I wish he was a little bit better. That's why he got relegated to backup and, you know, is the 27th-ranked quarterback. But, hey, you can see tier two. He can launch the ball down the field from some awkward angles and, you know, put some juice on the ball. Now, he can stare down receivers. That was an issue with the Bears. And stare it down to a point where you go, blah. But, again, I think there was some offensive issues there that, you know, didn't help Mitchell Trubisky necessarily. You know, again, he's a guy that did go to the playoffs and do some good things. But then when you watch the Buffalo Bills, like right away it smacked you in the fake face, Mike, about, oh, man, well, he looks a little different. You know, mechanically was different. Quicker decisions, more assertive and assured of himself. And then you get into that last year. I mean, I don't know if you remember this, Mike. This is preseason game number two. This is I the, remember it. The Bears defensive starters are out here. There's, there's Khalil Mack rushing. I mean, it's the starters versus the starting offensive line and some starters on Buffalo's offense, and he diced them up the whole game. I mean, I wish we could show every throw. He made great physical plays on the move and made great plays in the pocket reading defenses and doing that. So that's why he's 27. I say he is the starter in Pittsburgh to start the season, and he'll have to play good, and they'll have to keep going good for him to keep Kenny Pickett on the bench. The one thing I was saying, I think we brought this up last week, yeah. there's been some some reporting about the niceties of Trubisky's contract. He's got incentives tried to, uh, tied to playing time, and maybe that means they'll go with Pickett and said, they're not going to care. They're not going to care. They're no. going to play the best guy. Yeah, I think they got to so. pay Trubisky more because they, they played him more, so be it. They're trying to win football games. They're not trying to save a few dollars. Right, it's peanuts with it, what they're paying. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the kind of thing that's really going to make a difference. And uh, the question is, are they going to be ready to go with Kenny Pickett week one? Are they going to be comfortable at Cincinnati week one? Right. And then, the and then New England and then Cleveland. So that, that, that's the question I posed to you there. Yeah. I mean, do you, what do you think of that? When you look at that, you know, Mike, to, to go. It's always easier. Yeah. It's always easier to go with the veteran and flip to the rookie. If you start with the rookie and it becomes a train wreck and then you put the veteran in, then you have a mess. And if you're the Steelers, you don't want to get to week five, week six, week seven, you know, and there's a groundswell in Pittsburgh. Let Trubisky in. Let Trubisky try. Let's see what Mitch can do. Kenny's not getting it done. And I... I Again, in 2004, Ben Roethlisberger did not start right away. The only reason he started that year was because Tommy Maddox got injured. Right. And in 1970, the last time they went franchise quarterback in the first round, Terry Bradshaw, he started his first game. See, he struggled to really cement himself as the starter, yes, but he right. did start his first game. He was four for 16 for 70 yards and an interception against the Houston Oilers at home. Started at Three Rivers Stadium, lost nineteen to seven. Now this is a team that was used to not winning, but still, 
uh, September 20, 1970, four for 16, different era, different age, different different uh, rules, but um, same mindset. Sure. Are you ready to throw your rookie into the fray? Right. And if Trubisky can play as well as, as you think. I don't know. Maybe I, you ease Kenny yeah. Pickett in. I, I, I think that that he could be a handful. I do. I think with what I know or, or think Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, wants to do, he's he's they're going to be better with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback than Ben Roethlisberger last year. There's no question about that. I mean, first off, Trubisky's arm stronger than Big Ben's is. Trubisky's going to be willing to stand in there and take shots to throw the ball down the field like we talk about with older quarterbacks. Sometimes they don't want to do that. You know, and then the movement's going to be real, too. Uh, so I look at, you know, if guys, you could throw up the schedule one more time. There's, like, little lines of, like, you know, demarcation that I look at. Played good the first three, or, or at least two out of the first three weeks. Like, yeah, you'll be there. But there's that Jets game week four. Like, if he didn't play good the first three weeks, I could see them maybe going, all right, we got a Thursday night game. It's a long week for the Jets. Maybe we do Kenny Pickett. So I think he'll have to prove himself the first three games. If he gets through that, I think he's got to prove himself to the bye. He's got to, he's going to hang on to the bye because, again, if he's struggling and they get to week nine and the team doesn't look good and the offense isn't that great, it's going to be vice versa what you said. There'll be the groundswell of, hey, let's get the rookie out there. What are we waiting for? We drafted this guy. Let's put him out there. So I look at those as two points to go, how does Trubisky do to save his job through those little periods there? And However it plays out, Mike Tomlin, the coach of the team, will control it. They'll defer to him. They'll respect his decisions, whatever his decisions may be, whenever they may be made. And he will be working at that point in concert with a new GM. Six candidates have been interviewed twice. The Steelers have completed the interview process for a new general manager. It's just a matter of time before someone is hired to succeed Kevin Colbert, who still could possibly stick around in a reduced capacity. Brandon Hunt, Steelers pro scouting director. Omar Khan, longtime executive with the Steelers. He's the VP of Football and Business Administration. Andy Weidel, the Eagles VP of Player Personnel. Ryan Calden, the Titans VP of Player Personnel. John Spitek, Bucks VP of Player Personnel. And Doug Whaley, former Bills GM who was with the Steelers years ago before he became the GM of the Bills. I'm interested to I see feel, where this goes here a little bit. I... I I feel like they, they pride themselves so much in continuity. Yeah. People who know the way things work, we understand how it works. We're just going to bump up somebody who's here. If I were a betting man, and I'm not because I like to, I like to keep my money, I would say they're going to keep somebody that they have. They're going to elevate somebody they have. And if it's anybody from the outside, it's Whaley because Whaley's got the history there and they know him, and and he would know how things work. I just think there's a broader system a broader approach a broader recipe for for making the Steelers kielbasa and uh I, I it's not like a traditional GM who runs the show I think there's a lot of different voices that go into it and it's a more complicated process and that's why I think somebody who knows how it already works is going to have a leg up I, I I'm job. with you I I think the two guys at the top of that list there are going to be you know Omar Khan Brandon Hunt that's how I look at it with the I'm, I'm with you the Steelers I mean, uh, they know how to evaluate players. I mean, what, what are we talking about? They've been good for two decades straight. They've been in like in, in playoff conversation, so they don't need to like go anywhere else. 
They have a system that, you know, works, like you said. There's no doubt. And, you know, there's you know, they have an eye for certain positions that just fit Steeler football, defense alignment, linebackers. There's something to it there to where, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be somebody within, within the inside as, as well. Um, yeah, look, I, I, and I think they should keep Kevin Colbert involved. And no ego is the key. You never get the sense that there's any ego that's run amok in the front office in Pittsburgh. They no, work you're together right. well. They right. get things done, and they just they find great players, and they put great teams on the field. They're competitive every single year. Let's take a break. When we return, a guy who beat the Patriots in a Super Bowl finds a new home. A guy who should have beaten the Patriots in a Super Bowl getting up to speed with his new team. We'll talk about those two guys when PFT Live continues right after this. I don't want to defame the chocolate company. I want to defame the Florio household. How old are the chocolate are you guys hanging? You got like I you just, got just chocolate got from, from 1924 in there or what? Boom. Roasted. Did you watch any of the NBA playoffs? Did you watch the horse race? Did you watch the PGA championship? It was a great sports weekend. You didn't get in on any of it? I don't understand. I don't understand what you do with your life. Boom. Roasted. You don't go in the pool. You don't leave the house. And I don't know what you're doing in the house other than writing snarky comment, copy paste, copy paste every now and then. Boom, roasted. We broadcast. We broadcast golf. I don't know. I guess we we do yeah. because we have the US golf Open channel. coming here on uh, NBC in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. great. Well, everybody enjoy the U.S. Open. Uh, I'll be in the U.S. somewhere other than at the Open. <laughs> well, um, we know where you'll be. Boom, roasted. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I didn't quite I didn't quite know where that was gonna go, but uh not bad. Not bad. Not bad. I liked it. Not not your best, DJ, but pretty good. Pretty good. Unexpectedly bad. I didn't know where we were, I just didn't know where it was going. Right. But it's fine. Right. It's fine. Boom, roasted. You weren't really roasting me yesterday. That's <laughs> no. where I have a, a disagreement. I, no, I, I strenuously just, object to the I idea was, that you I were was roasting. just having fun with you. And I mean I do I do question. I mean just legitimate question. Like I just, you know, Saturday, Sunday, I don't know. All these damn things are on TV. I don't, you know, just I want to know what you're doing with your day all the time. I don't know. I, I am doing productive things. Okay. Just trust me. Okay. I am very productive. <laughs> all right. Uh, no days off, as, as Pete is chanting repeatedly in my ear. Here uh, is a guy who takes no days off, Russell Wilson, getting ready to become the starting quarterback, if you haven't heard of the Denver Broncos. OTAs have begun. Nathaniel Hackett, new head coach of the team. On what he wants to see from Russell Wilson in Russell Wilson's first new offense, really, at any point in his NFL career, other than whatever that offense was in Seattle. Here's Hackett. Yeah, I think it's all about just the command of the system. You know, we want to build this thing completely around him, make sure he's comfortable and watch him come alive. I think he did some awesome things today, uh, utilizing his athleticism, at the same time being able to uh, just be a pure dropback uh, passer. So I think there were a lot of good things, and we just got to keep on developing that and just the integration of the system and his uh, feels with the, the rest of the team, you know, how he is with the other guys, wide receivers, tight ends, and just get those guys all on the same page. They're building the offense completely around Russell Wilson. And look, there are folks out there who just assume that every offense in the NFL is built around the quarterback. It's not. It's not. Certain offenses run through the quarterback, where the quarterback is clearly the most important guy. He's the straw that stirs the drink. For other teams, 
It's not the quarterback. The 49ers it's not aren't anybody. running their quarterback. Yeah, it's not through, it wasn't through Jimmy Garoppolo. They weren't going, oh, my gosh, we're just like, yes, you're right. Uh, to your point. Uh, and and uh, honestly, it's a good conversation. It is. I mean, yeah, it's only, I think, a rare few that are really the like Seahawks that. The Seahawks didn't. No, the exactly. The didn't run their offense through Russell Wilson. That was the problem. Exactly. You're exactly right. Hey, the Tennessee Titans, did they run it through Ryan Tannehill? No. Number one seed in the AFC this past year. No, definitely not. You know, I think, you know, you look at the 49ers, we brought them up. The Eagles, I don't necessarily look at them as a team that's going running it through Jalen Hurts. No, he's a part of what they run, which makes them different. Running it through the guy, I mean, even Mac Jones in New England, they're not running it through Mac Jones. They're running an offense, and Mac Jones is running that offense. What we're talking about, what you're talking about, is like what Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, where they go, they're doing crap and stuff that just only they can do, and it's all about them and putting the pressure on you through them all the time. That's what you're trying to say, right? Right. right. Everything that is done offensively right. is with the skills and abilities of the quarterback in mind, and you're only running the ball as a change of pace to keep the defense honest. You are there to maximize the talents and skills of the quarterback because he's clearly your best player on the team, and he is the guy that is going to make things happen with his brain, with his arms, with his legs, whatever it takes. That's the guy that you have constructed this offense to get the most out of what he does well and to stay away from the things he doesn't do well. But you know what? There isn't much he doesn't do well, which is one of the reasons why the offense runs through him. That is hardly ubiquitous in the NFL. That is a handful of guys, and that's the point we make. And when people try, I got a little pissy last night. Some people were pushing back. Oh, they all, they all, they all run the offense. No, the, the Patriots weren't running and through the offense that, through Tom and Brady. If you the say first that, two Super you're Bowls. telling on yourself that you don't know about football. If you think they all run every offense through the quarterback, no, they don't. I'm talking about this is the guy. This is the star. We're making it work through him that's what Russell Wilson has wanted and now he's finally getting it. yeah he's gonna get it there's no I mean that's part of the reason he's there like you said is why he wanted out of Seattle Denver knows that's why they what they got him there and part of the reason they got him there was hey Russell we'll do whatever the hell you want and we'll talk about it and figure it out and gonna make it all fun and let alone the receivers the talent they have there so yes this was part of the move for both sides here well, player, I want an offense that's all in on me. Court team that went, we need a quarterback, okay, and if he wants us to go all in on him, we want that kind of guy, let's go. So that's where I want to ask you, Mike, what's more likely when the Broncos let Russ cook? Will it look like, you know, this? Good Russ cooking? Or will it look like this? Not oh, sure. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny. You can go ahead and take that down. That's really that's really well done. Um, that's not well done, actually. Uh, okay, Look at Russ up. Cook. I um, think Russ wants that first one better. He doesn't want that damn medium rare steak. <laughs> I was on radio in Houston yesterday, and they asked me about the item in the Chronicle, the Houston Chronicle, the newspaper of record in Houston, chastising my grilling skills. They asked me for my, my response, and my response was, now I know why newspapers are dying. Um, <laughs> yeah, so right. uh, here, here's why the, the Broncos are doing whatever Russ wants, because of this. Brock Osweiler, Trevor Simeon, 
Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, Brandon Allen, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippon, Philip Lindsay technically started a game in 2020, and Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. That's why. They want a star quarterback. They have not been to the postseason since Peyton Manning walked off into the sunset, limped off into the sunset, uh, and uh, this is what they're trying to do. Now, now, will it work? Let's find out. You know, Russell Wilson fancies himself as being every bit as good and effective as Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he's as mobile as he used to be. No, I'm And I think that there. lack of mobility is going to hurt him. He's he's th- he's thick. I, he's thick. He is. I mean, he's he is don't tuck in your shirt thick. You know, the kind of like I I had a little too much to eat over the holidays. I ain't tucking in my shirt when I go back to work on so you know, he's 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 a big boy now. He is. He's, he's I mean, he's He's solid. And you look Square you shoulders, that, you got that, legs and a butt. Yes, you, you're right. You add that armor yeah. to withstand the pounding, you give up some of your mobility. But he is definitely a big guy. He's in great shape. He's a professional athlete. But he is like a little mini block of granite now. Yeah. And and I just don't think he's got that same ability to take off like we used to see. Because we don't we don't really see it. He stays in the pocket, lingers in the pocket. He doesn't move like Mahomes. He doesn't move like Josh Allen. And I, I think there's a balance there that they need to strike. If they want him to really be the straw that stirs the drink of the Denver offense, they need some mobility. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. And I think that's a legit question. I, I certainly you know, would agree with that assessment that the, over the last two years, and, and especially even last year, that, yes, it was not as mobile. It was not quite as dangerous when he broke out to run. Still can move, can make people miss, but not, you know, not to the extent of the two guys you just brought up. I mean, I think that that's fair. I mean, those guys are the standard of the sport, in my opinion, right now, as far as making people miss, buying time, you know, in the back end, and really – and he's probably also been passed up by Joe Burrow in that category too, because Joe's amazing at making people miss and buying time back there too. So you know, it's something to watch on, watch for certainly, because he's gotten to that age where you got to watch for it a little bit. And and you know that's one of the dynamics with the top forty quarterback countdown, an annual thing. Russell Wilson began to slide not because his skills were diminishing, but because he was being jumped by younger guys who have right. a higher degree of overall skills than he has. So it's going to be a fascinating chemistry experiment in Denver. Now that they're going to let him cook, can he get it done? Can he really make that offense run the way that the guys who truly have the offense run through them make it happen? Nick Foles, Super Bowl 52 MVP. This one was expected once he was released by the Bears. The deal is done. Two-year contract with the Colts. Obviously, he wasn't going to be with the Colts last year when Carson Wentz was there. That would have made <laughs> it would have been amazing. season we, hard you were, We were rooting for it, kind of. <laughs> but, hey, between Foles and Wentz, that's a guy that Frank Reich should have wanted in the first place. This, I think this is the Frank Reich redemption in the eyes of Jim Ursay move. Like, I know you hated Carson Wentz, and that was my idea. You'll definitely like Nick Foles. You'll definitely like him. And if Matt Ryan gets injured, Foles is the perfect exactly. guy to come in. He can't be the leading man, but he's one hell of an understudy. Exactly right. They don't want to be in the, stuck in the spot they were last year, right? I mean, Wentz gets hurt, and you're like, oh, no. I mean, I don't, do we really have a 
capable backup that we can just still play football with? Or do we got to manage the game and hope everything falls the right way with the backup? And that's kind of what they had last year. Now there's no worries. You just go, okay, we can run our same offense. It won't be as good as it is with Matt Ryan, but still we'll still be able to do it. And Mike, like we talk about all the time, uh, th- this it's the right move. It's smart by Ballard and Frank Reich. Their team is good. They are good. They are in a window to be a serious AFC Super Bowl contender. And when you have a team like that, you, you can't you know fl- flirt with with danger as far as the backup quarterback position is concerned. Um, well, the, the Colts quietly, quietly putting themselves in yeah. a great position mm-hmm. to contend in a serious way this year. Let's take a break. We'll have more PFT Live right after this. The Washington Commanders have reportedly spent $100 million on land in Virginia where a new stadium may be built. They have purchased the land, but there are no plans to build a stadium because they got to see how much free money they can get before they ultimately do it. But you, you kind of... You limit your leverage a little bit, Chris, once you've bought the land. You spent $100 million on the land. So, uh, and and meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, there are questions about whether or not Daniel Snyder is still going to be the owner of the team. I wrote about this yesterday. They they have to be ready for a big, ugly, nasty legal fight if they're going to try to push him out. I think the best solution would be he steps aside for good. His wife takes over and his kids get it eventually. I've heard that he's been fighting and fighting and fighting because he wants his kids to eventually get it. That's a path. But regardless, regardless of what's happening with him, you still got to do business. They still need a new stadium. FedEx Field is horrendous. horrendous. Worst stadium I've ever been to. In my opinion, don't sue me, FedEx Field. It is horrible there. They got to get rid of it. They're going to get rid of it. And even if the league is going to get rid of Dan Snyder, the team still has to get rid of that stadium and replace it with a new one. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't. You know, again, Dan Snyder. We know. I don't think he's going to go down without a fight. Even if they do try to kick him out, and he's still running life like he's running this organization for a long time. They need to upgrade. They need a new change of scenery with everything. Ever since they've been in this stadium they're in, it's just crapola. They've never been the same franchise. So I'm all for it. Get away. Get a new facility. Kind of give the Washington Commanders a whole new look and feel and maybe see if it can change things. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where this Dan Snyder thing goes. FedEx Field was old the moment that it opened. It wasn't it, it great. It's so bizarre. It's only yeah. been around for like 25 years. And and it it's just it is not a good venue and it's time for a change. So, 100 million dollars on the land where it can be built and uh we'll see what happens. You know, you, you you're in a unique spot there. You got DC, you got Maryland, you got Virginia. You can leverage three jurisdictions against each other to get your best possible deal. And we know that these owners love to get free money to build their stadiums so uh as i mentioned once you buy the land in virginia you kind of narrow your options for who you're going to squeeze to get what you need to build your stadium so we'll see how that plays out when we return yesterday we drafted the best non-quarterbacks in the nfc west we'll continue that analysis by flipping it over to the afc west where the quarterbacks are a lot better the rest of the players we'll find out we'll draft them next here on pft live 
Oh, I appreciate that. I was just lifting, so uh, we've, just been, we've just been getting after it, and uh, thankful to Jonathan Brooks, who's been leading the charge. What's uh, your weight right now? Uh, it's about 245. Um, how excited are you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Hey, the Rams won the Super Bowl, but they're going to have to hold off the Chargers. They're I, coming. Peter King, Peter King did off-season power rankings. He had the Chargers at number two. They didn't even make the playoffs last year. So there's a buzz around this Chargers team. If they can stay healthy, they they, they could make things happen. All right. Yes, no so doubt. the best non-quarterbacks in the AFC West. All the quarterbacks are great. Plenty of other great players. Chris, I give you the first pick as usual. No trivia today. Sorry, Aunt Wendy. No trivia. No time for trivia. Technically, Pete didn't feel like getting a trivia question. Chris, you're up. Well, I will say, let's just, AFC West, damn, there's a lot of good players. I mean, like, we did the NFC West yesterday, and I feel like it was a little more lumped together with two teams. This one, there's like, there's wow on every team. I mean, it, it's not easy. I mean, it really is. I, the first one I'm going to go with, though, I'm going to go with Chris Jones, defensive tackle with the Kansas City Chiefs. I am. I mean, to me, it's, it's still, other than Aaron Donald, and I think maybe even last year you could have argued it a little bit. He's he's in that class as far as disruption, butt kicker. You know, you got to change your schemes. You can't leave them one on one. I mean, he does it all. I mean, he will f the play up in a hurry and get the stat or not get the stat. But he's definitely one of the best players in the uh, division for me. My first pick is influenced by the recent interview of George Kittle. We talked about this yesterday. Travis yeah. Kelsey, six straight thousand-yard seasons. Kittle going on and on about what a great weapon he is. It boggles the mind how he's getting half of what the top receivers are getting. So Kelsey, especially with Tyreek Hill gone, he becomes even more important to the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, he, he does. I mean, he's he's phenomenal. I mean, there, there's no question about that. He is, and especially with what he they do on offense, he's got a huge role there. This is where it gets hard. Wow, I, I I don't even know where to go here. Um, you know, I I guess I'm gonna go Devonte Adams here. I'll go Devonte Adams. Yeah, the receiver for the Raiders. Uh, he's too talented. He's good at everything. Excuse me, my nose is running. It's allergy season. Um, but I think with you know his skill set, Josh McDaniels, that offense, that's gonna be a huge year. He'll have a great connection with Derek Carr. Uh, let's go defensive side of the ball. And, man. I know. Where do you go? You know, Which one are you going to go with here? Well, Bosa, Khalil Mack, Max I, Crosby, I, Chandler Jones. I'm going to go right now. I'm going to go right now, Max Crosby. He's okay. earned it. He's earned it. Yeah. Everybody else, it's name recognition. It's potential. It's pass production. Right now, Max Crosby's the guy. He's the leader of that defense. And uh, I, I'll go Max Crosby. Yeah. I, I, I think that's the one I would have picked out of those guys. I mean, Chandler Jones and we know Bosa, they're both awesome players. But I think, I think you're right. Max is the man of the hour right now as far as coming off the edge of that group. I, I don't disagree. Now I'm stuck here between Orlando Brown and J.C. Jackson. That's the one I'm stuck on here. I'd pick the Chief, even though I really kind of want to give the offensive line a little love. I'll go J.C. Jackson. I love J.C. Jackson. I do. I think he's, you know, obviously one of the five best corners in football, hands down. He's an island corner. He can play zone. I think he's been able to do everything Brandon Staley wants to do. Uh, I'll go with him. I think he's going to be a huge addition for them. And and I will go Orlando Brown. We got to do something offensive line wise yeah. because you got to protect those quarterbacks because the defenses are getting better. These teams are realizing 
that, yes, we can get our own firepower to try to score points, but we're going to beef up our defense, too, to try to come get you to make that stop. So you got to have you got to have an offensive line and you got to have a left tackle. Even though Patrick Mahomes is running around all over the place, it's still helpful to have a good left tackle in Orlando Brown. Yeah, four good left tackles in the division. I mean, that's the thing you look at. You just go, man, there's no slouches there. Colton Miller for the Raiders is one of the best in the business. Orlando Brown, we saw Rashawn Slater last year. You know, he's already proven to be, and Garrett Bowles to the Broncos. So, to your point, you know, that's a, that's a damn good group there. All right, I think the next one I will go with is, um, man, whoo, I'll go Dar- Darren Waller. <clears throat> in fact, I'm, I, I should have probably put Darren Waller first. I, I honestly am not so sure he's – yeah, he shouldn't have been picked already. Darren Waller. I think is right there in the Kelsey conversation for best pass catching tight end in football. He's certainly in that very elite group, right? Where it's him, Kittle, Kelsey, uh, Mark Andrews, maybe TJ Hawkinson from the Lions now, and maybe the guy from Atlanta, Kyle Pitts, is like, whoa, they're kind of freaking natures at the position. One of the reasons Darren Waller got overlooked, Pete trying to help us out by listing some names for us. He listed 500 names. So it's easy for Darren Waller. It is. Like, I honestly think I would have picked him. I don't know why he, he blanked out of my mind. He, I, I would have picked him early. Yeah. I'll go Joey Bosa here. I'll go Joey Bosa here. Uh, and, and this is a tough one. There's plenty of great players. Mac has a little bit in recent years, just a little bit, yeah, faded a little bit. Definitely. And I know Joey Bosa has never sustained year in and year out injuries. Just, to, but but he's got he's 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 incredible. And you put Mac on the other side, all of a sudden, all of a sudden that Chargers defense is a different different thing to deal with. All no doubt. So I'll go Bosa there. But there's still plenty of other great players. Yeah. Great players, Chris. Give me a few others that that you. Uh, Mike Williams consider. for the Chargers. I mean, gosh, it's you know over a thousand yards. It's big yards per catch. I mean, you know, Khalil Mack, Chandler Jones. I mean, wow, there's some good ones out there. Some of the offensive linemen for the Creed Humphrey for the the Chiefs. What a hell of a player he is. Joe Tooney, Derwin James, Justin Simmons. Holy crap, there's a lot of hey. good players. And Pete, Pete. If you're going to talk to us and try to get us to say these names and throw in holy shit, you got to be you got to accept the risk that we're going to say it if you're going to say it. Sorry, it's just the way it goes around here. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFT Live right after this. Tonight on HBO, Real Sports with Brian Gumble, a feature focusing on the allegations pending against Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. Tony Busby, who represents the 22 individuals who are suing Deshaun Watson, says that two of his clients were interviewed for the for the event. Deshaun Watson declined to be interviewed, but his camp providing some information to the people from Real Sports. Look, this is a big part of the PR battle here, Chris. I know that Deshaun Watson's lawyer would say none of this matters. It all matters. How people react to this, how HBO handles it, the narrative that gets put out there, it's all extremely relevant. Yeah, no no doubt about it. I mean, he's a huge star. It's a big issue in our sport. We don't know where it's going. We don't know what the suspension will be, if there will be a suspension. It gets us a chance to look at the accusers again, too. Do we believe them or not? All that. So, yes, that's a big deal. I'll be tuned in. 22 of them, not one or two, 22. We'll be talking about it tomorrow. It airs tonight. Have a great day. See ya.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.